that it's just we need each other. It's so simple, you know, it's so simple. We just need each other, but it's we make it so much more complicated than that yeah. for not reaching out or not asking for the help or the companionship that we need to carry our burdens. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. I'm so excited to share my conversation with Shannon Evans. She's the author of the book Embracing Weakness, The Unlikely Secret to Changing the World. Shannon is also a regular contributor to Franciscan Media's magazine, St. Anthony Messenger, and she writes for the Everyday Ignatian column at Jesuits.org, the official website for the Jesuits of the U.S. and Canada. Shannon Evans and her family of seven make their home in central Iowa, where they're actively involved in their neighborhood, community, and local Catholic worker. In today's conversation, Shannon and I talk a bit about themes from her book, Embracing Weakness, and the events in her life that inspired the book. Her kind of growing up as this helper who was going to go out and save the world and then really meeting her edges through missionary work and adopting her first child, entering into motherhood, and encountering things that were so big and things that couldn't be easily solved and learning about how the very people she thought she was supposed to help actually helped her quite a lot. I often feel like I come from the other side of what she's talking about in this book, though I am definitely someone who likes to help and is nurturing and likes to help take care of people. I also often feel more needy because of my anxiety and OCD and have not often felt very strong. And so for me, embracing weakness really helped me see how everyone has has things that they need help with and that by embracing this part of our common humanity, we can make a better relationship with those parts of ourselves and with other people. Shannon and I go on to talk about things like forgiveness and anger and boundaries and permission and control. That's a big one. Um, And love and freedom. It's just a beautiful conversation. I'm so grateful to Shannon. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Shannon, welcome to Perennials. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. I thought I would start our conversation by just telling you, I think is kind of a funny story. When I first, I first heard you on a podcast, I think in 2019, when your book Embracing Weakness had first come out. And I remember hearing you on a podcast and I was like, oh, this person sounds awesome. And I started following you on Instagram and listening to other podcasts you had been on. But I was like, I don't think the book Embracing Weakness is meant for me though, because like I'm really weak. So I don't think, I think this is a book for people who are like very strong and need to get in touch with their weakness. But I, I am too, I am too weak. So I don't think it's a book for me. (laughs) Um, So it took me like two years to, to realize like, I think there's some faulty thinking there, um, that I'm going, (laughs) I think I missed some of what she was saying in those like interviews, um, about weakness. I'm curious if you've had that reaction from anyone before. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a tricky book to kind of pin a market on. I feel like there, because there are 
certainly people who who are sort of repelled by the idea of their weakness who could I think benefit from the message but will never touch the book you know <laughs> like <laughs> like what you're saying um but then I think that there's you know and and I wrote it as a Catholic so there's a lot of Catholic language in the book but I have almost had a more enthusiastic response from non-Catholics um which has been really fun and and maybe unsurprising because I I write about coming from an evangelical background and kind of my journey out of that. Um, and, and so I think that there's, whether or not people, you know, have the exact same journey as I do, I think that there's a lot of um, like ex-evangelicals or, or, or post-Christians who can relate to a lot of um, the, the themes and the sentiments that I describe. And so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think, um, there's so many angles from which like we have a need to, to discuss our own weakness or to, or to um, examine it, but it doesn't look the same for everybody. So mm-hmm. it, it was like a tricky book to try to um, like pitch to people, you know, I'm just like, <laughs> Oh, either read it or don't, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really beautiful book. And I, I think it helped me to, see more of the common humanity of how everyone experiences weakness in some way. And we just have different relationships to it. Like you're saying, I'm curious, what were some of the stories or messages or even beliefs about weakness that were baked into you when you were a kid or a teenager, like as you were growing up, how did you identify, identify with, with weakness or with strength? Yeah. I think um, a few a few different ways as I've processed my own life. Um, I, I grew up with parents who are very merciful and justice loving and compassionate. Um, they're both Enneagram twos, if that means anything. <laughs> you know, they're they're the helpers, and um, and so I was really raised with this mindset of like kind of constantly looking at myself, like, what are you doing to help others? What are you doing to make the world a better place? What are you doing to share God's love? You know, all of those things, um, which is a really beautiful environment to be raised in. But, but I think that I missed a lot of, um, a, a lot of the truth of my own vulnerability and my own need, um, those words I kind of use interchangeably with weakness, but particularly my own need for others. I, I sort of um, took in this message that I should always be the one to, to give and to help others. And I sort of would, would just kind of take care of my own needs by myself on my own, or, or they weren't really that bad, or they weren't really that um, valid even. And I really carried that well into adulthood. And it's only been the past two years that I really started unpacking that. Um, and, you know, like I write, I write in my book, a lot of, a lot of that came from being in a really broken place and being healed by people who on paper had nothing to give, like people who I was sort of taught as a child that I should help. Um, and then turn around and come full circle as an adult and realize that I need them in my life. And um, so it was a really lovely little surprise. Maybe for people who haven't read the book yet, do you mind just describing a little bit of kind of 
the edges that you came up against um, in that time period, you know, that you describe in the book? I, um, the book starts with my husband and I leaving to go, um, to move to Indonesia sort of indefinitely, um, as missionaries. And I had really grand ideas about all of the good work that I was going to do. And then, you know, we were there for two years and during that time really, um, really just had to confront a lot of my own, um, like not just ineffectiveness, but really my, how unnecessary I was (laughs) for the people there and and in a lot of really important and beautiful ways. Um, And not, not that I was not loved or well-received because those things were absolutely true. Um, But that nobody needed me to save them. And in many ways, no, they didn't need me to reveal God to them because they already were on their own journeys. And, and so then we came home and I, I was like, well, okay, what's the next thing that I'm going to do to like change the world. And, and we adopted a child who was our, our oldest son, who was almost one. And because of his early trauma, he had really really severe needs that we weren't like behavioral needs that we were really not um, qualified to be handling, but we kind of muddled our way through. But that, that ended up just really breaking me of like, I thought that this was going to be what I excelled at. I thought this was going to be where I shine, you know, motherhood, like maybe I, maybe I kind of failed as a missionary, but this is, this is going to be the thing. And, and it ended up breaking me completely. It was really difficult for our marriage. I, you know, was having panic attacks and, um, I'm happy to say that my son is doing wonderfully today. He's, he has not struggled. Um, I mean, you know, we all have our, we all have our struggles, but he, he has been a really healthy, happy kid for years now, but those early years were really difficult. And, um, and so we really just sort of, um, just hit a really, traumatic wall. And at that time we entered into a Catholic worker community of hospitality. Um, and that's kind of what I'm referring to when I talk about maybe the, the people who are considered most unlikely to help someone like me. So people who were experiencing homelessness, um, and, or addiction or, um, generational poverty or different things like that. And it really became, this refuge for us where um, we were accepted for exactly where we were at and what was going on and, and how, how utterly needy we were for comfort and relationships. And we were given the most beautiful friendships. Um, some of the most, most cherished relationships of my life came, came from that community. And so it was just this really um, safe place to be weak and a really safe place to be vulnerable that, that um, middle-class society, mainstream society had not been able to give us, um, to give my family at that point, we were not able to, to do all of the normal stuff um, that other young families were doing, or even, you know, young couples. Um, But, but this was a safe place. And so it was just a really, um, it was a very life altering couple of years there for me. And it really um, brought into this new way of seeing 
God, this new way of seeing um, what the Christian faith had taught of Jesus. And, and um, really, I think you said something really beautiful at, in the opening of being able to see our common humanity. And I think that kind of broke me open and healed so much that had, um, like, I had all these question marks, you know, from being a missionary of like, what about this? And what about this? And and just entering into a deep community where, where I could find God in our common humanity, it really, yeah, it just changed me. Yeah. It was really beautiful to read about the reciprocity that you found on the other side of acknowledging your own. I think you've described it also as like smallness. And is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking about how, like, you know, this is a show about growing up and how so much of growing up is thinking, okay, I have to be completely independent. And like, I have to be someone that other, that I can fully depend on that other people can depend on. I need to be able to like stand on my own, live on my own, all these things about independence and strength. And it's at the same time, very humbling. I feel like part of growing up is the disillusionment you experience as you get out into the world and confront that smallness of like, oh, this is really big and complicated and is so much so beyond me. And also like seeing other people who are better than you at things like (laughs) you, you write in the book that as we get older, we become more comfortable operating out of self-sufficiency and less willing to express, to express our emotional need for others. And that definitely resonated with me. You write also about becoming a mother and you have four children. I have five, five children. Sorry. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if you see that in your children, do you see as they get older, do you see them growing more more comfortable with self-sufficiency and less comfortable with expressing need? Certainly. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I've never really thought about it on kind of a, a micro scale like that, but my oldest is 11 and my youngest is one. And so, you know, it, it has been interesting um, with my older children to kind of it's, I mean, it's been wonderful as a parent to not be needed 24 seven, you know, but to, to kind of look around and like, oh, I guess so-and-so is in their room right now. <laughs> They've been there for the past two hours. Well, this is different, you know? Um, but I think, you know, on a, so I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out through the teen years and everything and, and kind of parenting someone else through something that took me so many years to unpack. So that'll be interesting. But I, I heard recently, and I wish that I had written down this source, um, but I, it was just a little thing on Instagram that I saw, but that somebody had put, there's a difference between growing up and growing old. And most people just grow old. Mm. Most, most people don't actually grow up because that requires a lot of work um, on yourself. It requires a lot of humility and openness to listen to the experiences and worldviews of others and um, differing opinions and theologies and politics and all of those things that are that are hard and messy and difficult. And so most of us sadly just choose to just grow old instead. And and I just, you know, that really struck me because I thought like, oh, 
more than anything, I want to be an old lady who's like one of those women who like people just flock to for wisdom or just has like this prayer for prayerful contemplative space about her and, and just has so much to give the world. And I was like, that doesn't just happen. Like, like you grow old and become an old person, but that doesn't mean you're going to become that old woman. Yes. <laughs> I'm working to be her now, you know? And, um, yeah, so I think that's sort of a, the posture that I've been carrying with me, um, starting with the time that I wrote about in the book of just kind of coming, coming face to face with my own, um, with my own inner poverty, my own brokenness. And that was like in my late twenties when that happened for me. Mm. I feel I'm so in that right now of being like, oh, the way I live my day-to-day life, the way I react to my boyfriend not doing the dishes is the way that I grow up. You know what I mean? Like it's not in the future. Richard Rohr says like the way you do something is the way you do everything. Yes. So good. And it's like, I, it's funny to think back on even when I was in college and I would just be like, well, future Victoria will figure out like, you know, what she wants to do for a job and she'll figure out like how to learn about finances, like whatever it may be like future Victoria, when she's an adult, will take care of it. It's like, no, no, like, (laughs) yeah, you have to bring it just magically happen when you, yeah. 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 I think there, there are so many people like you identified growing up with parents who are like helpers and you yourself, like having that orientation. And I know so many people who listen to perennials are like teachers or, you know, in some helping profession. And it's like that, um, we hear that, that cliche all the time of like the kids teach me more than I teach them. But like, if that's true, like the people who really do seem very grown up and like wise in that way that you were describing really are the ones who genuinely feel like they have something to learn from everyone, even people who are younger or who don't have like, you know, um, privileged status in society. Right. Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, yeah, I, I smiled when, when you said that phrase, I, I do feel like there's a certain amount of cliche there that like, I do think it's easy to just kind of, I guess, lip service to give lip service to like, oh yeah, my, my children teach me so much. They teach me more than I teach them. Well, I mean, they do. I learn, I learn a lot from my children. Um, but I, I mean, I'm also not going to lie. Like, I, I think I probably teach them more than they <laughs> I think there'd probably be something wrong if that wasn't the case. Um, but I think there's, yeah, the, the I just, I would love to see kind of a, obviously a, a, a broad social and cultural change, but, but even just starting with, um, people who are, you know, religious or spiritually inclined to kind of re-examine this narrative of us being the ones to help or being the ones to give. I mean, you know, obviously we kind of hear a lot about the white savior complex and I think that's really true, Um, but it's really ingrained within, especially those of us who are raised Christian, 
um, that that it's almost hard to see because you're so enmeshed in it. You know, it's like sometimes you kind of have to take a few steps out or have something like really life shattering happen for you to be able to see the context that you've been living in, which is I am the one who has to help others you know, and and maybe I can receive help from people who are like me, but I don't really need any help from, from people who, you know, maybe are disenfranchised or marginalized, or those are the people that I'm supposed to be helping. Um, Or even people who are younger, you know, like, like children. So I think there's so many ways where we kind of inadvertently and, and unconsciously write off um, our need for people who seem like beneath us on the social ladder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I but we would never say that, you know? Right. It's like, there are so many things that we can intellectually understand and even we can say, but the actually like knowing it in your bones and yeah. um, living it is like a different thing. Right. I think my storyline of weakness has always, I've had, um, you know, struggled a lot with anxiety and OCD and depression from like when I was a little kid, the anxiety and OCD started. And so the storyline in my head has always just been like, I'm weak. I just have to try not to make trouble for other people. And, you know, during COVID, I was like, I should be grocery shopping for older people, but instead, like, I'm afraid to go to the grocery store, you know? (laughs) And I remember when I had been alone for a couple months, my older sister who has four young kids, like I called her one day and I was just crying. And I was like, my, you know, like I'm having a really hard time. Like I'm not functioning very well and I can't get myself to go to the grocery store. And she just came and dropped off all these groceries. I felt so awful in my weakness. Like I should be helping, right? Like I should all the shoulds of like, I should be stronger. I should be helping. But her doing that act for me completely reset my life. Like I was able to function so much better and then I could show up for other people. But the longer that I sat there, like I shouldn't be like this and I shouldn't ask anyone for help. The longer I was completely unable to, you know, take care of myself, let alone connect with anybody else. So such a wonderful example of, you know, I guess what you could say, like the other side of the coin, right? Because I mean, whether we're, um, my, my husband is, is a little more like you. And, and so I think even in the opening of the book, I'm I kind of point out the differences in how we handle our weakness. Like some yeah. of us, um, so my husband is really sensitive and, and, you know, is more prone to anxiety and depression and things like that. And so he has to carry the weight of a lot of shame about his weakness. Whereas I like would rather run away from my weakness and pretend it's not there and like think that I can do everything by myself. So, and, you know, it's not always that clear cut, obviously, sometimes it's a little more gray, how people, how people carry it. But the, the point is that it is all, it, it is it is a part of the human experience. And so it's, we all have to figure out what we're going to do with it. And I love that story because even though you, you felt in your words, you felt shame that your sister, you know, a mom of four kids was bringing you groceries. Like that was, it was that human, like reaching out and asking a human being for what you needed 
was what kind of shifted something for you. And I think, and, and, you know, yeah, I think it's just a really, um, like a really on point story (laughs) in in a very everyday way, you know, of that, um, that it's just, we need each other. It's so simple, you know, it's so simple. We just need each other, but it's, we make it so much more complicated than that for not reaching out or not asking for the help or the companionship that we need to carry our burdens. Yeah. And I think we forget sometimes that there's a reason we're all different (laughs) and can complement each other because not to say that it wasn't, I'm sure difficult in some ways for my sister to get all like get extra food for me and get all of her kids in the car and drive. like, she lives an hour from me drive an hour with her kids. Um, but at the same time, like she wasn't scared to go grocery shopping. And sometimes I fall into the trap of like forgetting that something that's really, really hard for me is not necessarily a big deal for someone else. And maybe that happens vice versa. Like there are some things that are not as hard for me that I can help someone else help someone else with. And like, that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's, that's really astute. (laughs) (laughs) I am curious for you, like as a woman talking about and writing about weakness, did you ever struggle with, um, I feel like sometimes like it's just so hard for women to be humans because it's like, you know, women were, have been seen as weaker, you know, for a long time. So then I feel like there's like that backlash of sometimes it's almost harder for women to be vulnerable, especially in certain places. I feel like, like if you're at work or something and you're like, okay, well, I want people to take me seriously. So X, Y, Z, have you felt any tension with that at all? Yeah. I love this question. You're the first person who's ever asked me this. Um, (laughs) it's, it's very complicated. (laughs) It really is. Um, because this is a very, human experience, you know, no matter how you identify gender wise, like weakness is something that we all, like I said, I'll have to figure out how to deal with, but for women, there is all of this baggage of like, I certainly didn't want to come across as like, oh, this, this sweet little woman writing about weakness, (laughs) you know, every fiber of my being is like repulsed by that idea. Um, and, and also knowing that it is often, um, especially in religious spaces, more acceptable for a woman to be writing about her struggles than it is for a woman to come out with a really powerful stance. And, and um, I'm, I'm kind of interested because my next book that comes out this fall is, is very much more, it's on motherhood, but it's very much more on the empowering end. So I'm kind of curious about like, like what the differences in different spaces will be um, for how those two books re- are received. Mm. And I had a, um, a, a male priest write like a roundup, include my, my book when it came out two years ago in a roundup of books. And he said he had, he had talked about one that was specifically for women. I don't even remember who this priest is. So it was not personal at all, but apparently he like blogs about book recommendations or something. And um, so it was another one that was specifically for women. And then he got to mine and he said, and here's another book for women 
like who feel like they need to be perfect. And I'm like, obviously you haven't read this book at all. <laughs> but, but it was just a really kind of this moment of like, why does he assume that this book is for women? Is it because I'm a, a woman author and it has the word weakness in it? You know, mm. like, it, so it brought up these really interesting questions. And um, I, I don't have an awesome answer other than that. I do think it's really an interesting topic to explore and I do have pretty complicated feelings about it. Yeah. No, it, that it's interesting to hear because I, because nothing about the book itself, like, um, I read the book very much as like, this is about humans and the human experience mm-hmm. and, um, and the power of what you can find on the other side of acknowledging your own weaknesses or your smallness and, um, the power of community that you can find when we open to each other. I'm, I'm so, I'm so excited about your, your book, um, rewilding motherhood. Is that what it's yeah. going to be yeah. called? I'm really, really fascinated by the concept of like women and wildness right now. So when I saw that title, I was like, yes, <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. I'm not a mother, but yeah, I'm excited about it too. Honestly, I, you know, it might be even something that you want to check out. Cause I, I have a couple of friends who are not moms who are like totally, totally into it. There is a lot that's just, uh, you know, for women in general, but, but it is under the motherhood umbrella. Um, but, but yeah, that's kind of been rocking my world the past few, few years too, of this idea of, um, kind of getting back to like this, this wildness, you know, not in a cliche way, but in a, in kind of like a deep core inner, innermost being kind of way. So this is kind of speaking to something we touched on before of like different, um, having different relationships to, uh, weakness, I guess, or our own weakness. But I guess I, I, I sense that there is a difference. I'm curious, like what you think about a difference between embracing weakness and and, like indulging in it or being engulfed by it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. And a lot of times people frame this by asking about sin, like, like, is this license to like embrace your sin just to say that you can't do any better. And I mean, I, I think, that's usually more asked by people who haven't read the book. Cause I don't think that's confusing in the book. No, it's not. <laughs> think, <laughs> but I do think like what you're, what you're asking. I mean, I certainly feel that tension in my own life of, you know, like, I mean, another way to say it could be like giving yourself grace versus like not even trying to, yeah, to, yeah. you know? Um, and I think that's sort of a, a tightrope walk that we all have to do. And there's, there's no hard and fast rules about it. It's, but I think that maybe it comes back to learning, um, learning to cultivate the kind of, the kind of prayer or the kind of mindfulness, however people feel comfortable, um, saying it, but, but to, to engage our conscience and to kind of, you know, every day, like the Jesuits have the examine prayer that I love because just at the end of the day, you kind of assess your, (laughs) your inner life and you assess like your emotional responses to things. And, you know, is there something that you need to make reparations for? Is there something um, that you want to maybe um, do differently next time? Or, you know, so I think that those kinds of 
uh, rhythms to our life can can really address this better than anybody saying like, you know, it, that it's black and white because it's clearly not. I like hearing you say like, there's not really an easy answer to that <laughs> because that's just very true. Right. <laughs> I find myself thinking about how like just com- having compassion for yourself and forgiveness for yourself. I, you write about this in the book, like you, you can't really abide in other people what you can't abide in yourself. Right. So like when I, when I freak out at my boyfriend for, uh, for some reason, it's usually because he's doing something that like I do and I don't like, Mm. you know, if I'm having a really strong reaction, it's usually like, or like that something that you don't feel like you have permission to do. Yeah. That often makes me really angry. Like, how dare you take a nap when I can't, but, oh, I guess I could, you know? Yeah. 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 I'm just, I'm curious to hear maybe just some of your, this is a very big question, but maybe just some of your thoughts on like forgiveness or mercy, because I, I find that to be really hard when it comes down to it. Um, like I think I, I don't think most people who know me like casually or most of my friends even would think of me as an unforgiving person, but, um, I actually find that very difficult. So I'm just curious to hear any of your thoughts about that. Well, I mean, that's a, that's obviously a huge, a huge topic, but I think one thing that, that really, um, often doesn't get, get raised in the conversation about forgiveness is boundaries Mm. and like, what does it actually mean to forgive somebody? And, and in order to do that, usually there has to be some healthy boundaries set up of, of knowing, um, that it's not going to happen again (laughs) or knowing what exactly what you're going to do if it does happen again, but kind of doing everything possible to, um, to set yourself up for inner freedom and to love the person the best way that you can, even if that means from a distance, very, very far away with no community. Um, <laughs> because that's reality, you know, it's like forgiveness doesn't mean like, okay, you're back in my life in exactly the same place that you were before this happened. I think we, there's always some kind of, I mean, even like with my husband, even when I forgive something that's still like, okay, well, there's something there that needs clarity or a boundary or something so that this doesn't continue to happen. And like all married couples, we do have the same problems that continue to happen over and over. But like, I think this slow move towards wholeness and this slow move towards change is, is really important for both parties. Um, But especially, you know, if it's a, if it's a relationship that's not as intimate as, as a spouse or, or as a lover or whatnot, I think it's, yeah, just like the, the whole spectrum of what appropriate boundaries are, you know, it really varies from circumstance to circumstance, but I think it's a really critical part of that conversation. And then the other side of the coin is, is, you know, kind of piggybacking off of what you said of like, you know, I, are you, do you start with forgiving yourself? Like how, I mean, I'm not even not trying to like put the spotlight on you here, but just like as a question for everybody, if forgiveness is hard, um, do you notice that pattern towards yourself as well? And if so, then, then that's probably the place to start, you know? Mm. 
Yeah. And I'm so struck by what you said about when getting mad about feeling like you don't have permission to do something that someone else is doing like that really resonates with me. And I think, um, so often it's like boundaries. I think of the first thing I think of is like saying no, but like, actually it also means saying yes, like I need to take a nap tomorrow. So like, what do we need to do to make that happen? (laughs) Um, is also like a type of boundary kind of, and also, um, yeah, it's a kindness towards yourself. And then you, you can also extend that kindness. Right. But you have to like be allowing yourself to be human and to need things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hard to, to really dig deep and be honest with ourselves. I mean, you know, they're being honest with myself about like, oh, I, I think I am a better mother when I am not with my children all day, you know, mm-hmm. when I work outside the home or when I have um, childcare, you know, a few times a week or whatever it looks like. And that's probably not true for every mom, but, but in my case it was. Um, so there's things like that, but then there's also the deeper permissions that we have to give ourselves of. So like I, sometimes from time to time when I write something that's particularly kind of um, what I would call empowering, but what some women might call rebellious <laughs> in nature. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll get messages of like, basically sort of attacking me in different ways. And I, mm-hmm. you know, it's hurtful, but, but when I go back to thinking about it, I'm thinking like, what's the root of that? It's probably that they don't feel permission to do what I just said, or, mm-hmm. or, like it's still, it's still in their minds categorized as wrong, but deep down, I think somewhere in their unconscious, like that's what they long for as well. And I'm not saying like, I have like the end all be all wisdom, but, but, um, but just kind of sharing my journey of sort of, um, untangling myself from, from patriarchy really. And, and a lot of the expectations and, um, belief systems that go along with that. And I think that, um, both women and men really have a longing to be free from that, but we don't necessarily know what to do when our longings, um, go against cultural norms or religious norms. Um, yeah, that's just, that's, it's a whole big conversation, but I think that a lot of like the deep inner stuff in us is kind of like, um, expressing a need a need for something that we don't feel that we have permission for. And I think those are really the key things to explore. That's really, really helpful. I'm also really fascinated by women's anger and like rage. And, um, I do think there's a lot of like self-denial that fuels like, it's okay to be angry and even to feel rage sometimes, but when it's like this undercurrent, um, and this consistent thing, like, I do think there's a level of self-denial that is keeping that going. So yeah. Have you read the book rage becomes her? No, but that sounds right up my alley. It's amazing. (laughs) It's, it's very research-based. So it's like, it's like, research after research after research, which is not necessarily what I enjoy reading all the time, but because the subject matter is so personal and so universal, it's just, it's amazing. So I definitely recommend it. 
Thank you. I'm going to, I will link to that. Yeah. I'm going to look it up. Something that I was thinking about in reading the book and then even from some of the things you've mentioned on Instagram recently, like one of the things that really stuck out to me was um, talking about control and and I think that fits kind of too with talking about anger because there's definitely like, you know, feeling out of control is really scary. But you write about how realizing that I am not in control or you are not in control is difficult, but also really freeing. Um, and even realizing that people are not ours to control. And you say part of the inherent dignity of the human person is that we are each unique and and I'm just curious, like as a mother as well, I can, I can just imagine, like, I think sometimes about having children and I'm like, whoa, if I am this controlling now, like, I really can't imagine like what degree that could get to as a parent. <laughs> so I guess I'm just, I heard you recently speak about kind of like controlling, um, versus connecting with parenting. And I would just love to hear you reflect on that a little bit. If you, if you don't yeah, mind. And- yeah, I did. I was talking about that recently on Instagram and I, you know, I didn't even think about it at the time, but it really does go hand in hand with, with some of what I wrote in the book of really what transformed our family, um, through, through our son who was struggling so much was that, you know, we, we went from this parenting mentality of controlling him and, I mean, we wouldn't have called it that, but, but essentially having very specific ideas of what was appropriate or inappropriate behavior and, and, um, you know, focusing a lot on, on kind of obedience and, and those kinds of things. That was really pretty traditional parenting methods, but then coming, um, that not working. And so then we were introduced to a more connected, approach, um, to parenting. And we even, you know, took like an eight week course and, and everything. And so we were kind of, um, really, really, um, enmeshed in it and it changed, it did change our parenting for sure. And it and it continues to, to shape the decisions that we make in parenting, but it also just really changed the way we saw the world and it was like, Oh, I think, maybe we're just here for connection with mm-hmm. one another. Like maybe we're not here. <laughs> this sounds so obvious, but maybe we're not here to actually control and dictate other people's choices about their lives and, um, and force them to align with our own belief systems or our own worldviews. And I mean, this is, you know, we could talk about you know, politics and the separation of church and state, or we could talk about, you know, my relationship with my younger brother who like his has lived his life, nothing the way that I would necessarily recommend, you know, (laughs) but it's also his choice and his freedom. And anyway, so we kind of realized that once we let go of all of that and kind of received this freedom of like, you know, it sounds cliche. And I think a lot of times Christians say and repeat that of like, our job is just to love, but we live as though our job is to change and, and, and control and kind of dictate the, the morality of others. And for me, there was so much inner freedom in learning that I could let go of that. And I was able to not only feel free internally, 
which honestly was a huge load off my back. Um, but also more free to love other people instead of kind of constantly hang, having this hang up over, um, the changes that they should be making or my responsibility to see change in their life. I had really taken that on in a lot of ways. And once I let all of that go, it's like, oh, now I actually feel the love of God flowing through me. Whereas before it was like, I can't tap into that love. Where, where is it? Where is it supposed to be? Um, and, and I think that that really reflects the heart of God and what God has demonstrated throughout the course of humankind of, of like being much less interested in control and much more interested in freedom and freedom births more love. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. I heard someone actually, I can't remember now if this was in embracing weakness or if I heard it somewhere else, but I heard a quote that was something like, and I, and I think Carl Jung maybe said this, but it was like, I'm paraphrasing. If you're trying to control someone, you're not really loving them. You're keeping them as a pet. Oh, I like that. And I was like, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> um, and yeah, there's like you, there's a certain enjoyment that comes with letting, like you can be playful and you can be more calm and you can be interested and curious. Cause I, I, I think that I definitely, you know, early on just kind of internalize this idea that like God is law and order, you know, mm-hmm. um, right. and being able to just enjoy people for who they are and how they are. And then, um, feel that other people can do that for you too, is like, is very freeing and, um, and to not feel like you have to, you have to control everything and keep it all together. Cause I, I also think for me, there, there was, um, I, as I was reading your book, I was, I was reflecting on how much, like I, even when I was a kid, like I was so empathetic and, and stuff like that, that I didn't want to show my weakness, like even to my parents, because I was like, they have so much going on. Like they don't, I don't want to burden them, you know, and thinking back on how much I, um, just tried to keep, just tried to like control everything. And I, I think that was why it came out as OCD for me, like compulsions and things like that. Like, let me just control the situation as opposed to feel and like share those feelings with even my parents, like eventually I might break down, but I would spend months ruminating on something that I just wouldn't tell anyone about. Yeah. That's so good. I think that really touches on this, this idea of like feeling, um, feeling like, like your needs are an inconvenience or, um, again, like not giving yourself permission, like maybe others would give you permission, but somewhere along the way, um, internalizing this idea that you don't have permission to really express your need or even have needs, you know, right. that you should be able to be taking care of it yourself. I, I think I, I was just thinking of it in terms of that, that parenting thing too, of like, you know, the connection thing. Like, even if your parent can't fix it or, or if you as a parent can't fix it, just allowing someone to feel and be themselves and say, be honest about who they are, what they're going through. You know, when I think about control too, it's, I think one of, one of the 
um, most gratifying experiences of, of working towards releasing control, not that any of us do it perfectly, but is, is this acceptance of, you know, how many, how many different possible paths there might be for a really wonderful outcome, mm. <laughs> you know? And so like, you know, I think of, um, my own, my own life's journey or, or anyone else's. And I just think, you know, how, yeah, just how amazing <laughs> that X, Y, and Z that seemed so terrible or that, you know, on paper, I'll just speak from my own life. Like, like people were worried about me and, and maybe rightly so, or like, it looked like I was going off the deep end. Um, but had that not happened, would I have kind of made my way around to where I am now? And I'm not like I'm done or anything, but I like where I am now and I feel hopeful about it. You know, um, I feel like it's, it's healthy and I'm moving, I'm moving, you know, on a path that feels really whole to me. And so I think about that with other people too, of like, you know, who am I to say, like, it's so, it's so, um, there's so much ego in, in me even wanting to control someone else because yeah. I have no idea what the best thing for them is. And maybe it is actually the thing that looks like not the best thing to my eyes right now. And so I think just kind of honoring that dignity of, of saying, you know, you are worthy to be trusted with your own life, even, even in making mistakes, even in like not getting it right. Um, but that we all, we all have that dignity, you know, to be, to be trusted, to live our own lives. Mm. It's so good. <laughs> I like to try to end by asking, um, one of two questions. So okay. I'll throw out both and you can, you can decide you can oh, okay. what resonates with That's you. Okay. Um, so either what's something that you are learning about or growing into right now in your life? Or just what's something that's making you feel alive right now? I think I would say that the answer to both is kind of the same, which is, which is convenient, right? But um, I think what I would say is that studying, um, and I say studying really loosely, but just <laughs> reading and chewing on the writings of um, some of the mystics of the Christian tradition, I feel like um, seeking out sources who are, honestly, I, f I find that translate, so Mirabai Star is one of my favorite translators mm -hmm. because she's not Christian. So I know she's not coming in with, with a certain like dogmatic agenda. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I just feel like she's, she's, um, a really lovely modern translator. And so just kind of reading the words of um, St. Teresa of Avila and Julian of Norwich are, are the ones that I've really looked into. I, I wanna read St. John of the Cross too, but um, I find a lot of, I guess a, a lot of um, hope <laughs> for my own spiritual life. Cause I think it is kind of easy to to come to a certain place and you're like, well, I, everywhere I look, it feels like I'm being 
um, boxed in or, or like being told what to believe or being, or being given like this prescription for faith or things just feel shallow or kind of like all of these different grievances that I tend to have against, um, against a lot of like kind of Christian devotion. But so, yeah, the mystics have been a really, um, a really life-giving space for me in the past year to kind of be surprised honestly by a lot of what's in there and um and be delighted in it and also kind of be inspired to to believe that my journey isn't over like there still is a lot to unfold for me um within this christian tradition that i'm in and i think that's you know that it makes sense to me that that could be true of anyone in, in any specific religious tradition that um that, you know, there's always a deeper well to draw from than, than we think there is. And so, yeah, it's just kind of proven true for me this year, which has encouraged me. Mm. Well, thank you. This has been so lovely and thank you for sharing and also for listening to me. I feel like I talked a lot, so. (laughs) It's easy to talk to you. So that's always a a really big relief. (laughs) Okay, good. I'm really excited for, rewilding motherhood when it comes out and oh and I want to make sure to let people know where they can find you online um on Instagram I'm Shannon K Evans and so that's where I hang out the most and then I also am on Facebook with the same name K just the letter K and my website is shannonkevans.com all right thank you so much Shannon Thank you so much for listening to the Perennials Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. You can follow along on Instagram at Perennials Podcast, or send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit a Moon by Paul Finn. I pray to God.